0: At long last, ladies and gentlemen, season five of Chewing the Gristle is indeed upon us. A convivial conversation fest between myself, Gregory S. Cock, Esquire, and a variety of musical potentates from hither and yon. Brought to you by our friends at Wildwood Guitars and our friends at Fishman Transducers, of course, both of which I've had long standing and continuing relationships with and i'm very grateful for their continued support in this endeavor to bring you chewing the doggone gristle we've got a bunch of fun guests some you have heard of some maybe not so much it'll be a little bit of discovery and a little bit of chaos all rolled into one thanks for tuning in folks now without any further ado (laughs) let's chew some gristle Folks, we've got a young man from Jacksonville, Florida on next on Chewing the Gristle, Dylan Adams, slide guitar player extraordinaire. I first discovered him on social media playing up a storm and was taken away with his beautiful technique and tone and touch. Had an opportunity to meet him when our band was playing down in Florida and just an incredibly nice young man. I thought it'd be great to have him on. And uh, for a lot of you, this will be a discovery that you will not regret, shall we say. So, without any further ado, let's listen to our conversation with Dylan Adams on Chewing the Crystal. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, the time has come again for another delicious dish of Chewing the Gristle with yours truly, Gregory Calk. And I have Dylan Adams here, ladies and gentlemen, a young slide guitar phenom from beautiful Jacksonville, Florida. We met online and then met in person, and uh, he just got done playing some tracks on my buddy Toby Lee Marshall's record and just did a fantastic job. I thought we'd have him on Chewing the Gristle so you could all get to know him and savor the flavor. Dylan, how you doing?
1: doing great man and uh, just wanted to say thanks so much for having me on I'm so honored and uh, just wanted to say I've been a fan of yours for a long long time um, remember being a you know a young you know budding teenage guitarist watching the wildwood guitars demo video oh, and stuff yes and lusting over the guitars that you were playing and just wishing I could play like you so uh, so yeah man it's uh, it's great to be here talking to you man really appreciate you having me on
0: well, I tell you what—you play so delightfully. It's just every time I stumble across one of your vids on the old Instagram, <laughs> yes, it just—it just makes me puts a big old smile on my face. Your your inflections and your and the fire and the uh, tone—you right. know, slide guitar then, is such an yeah, interesting means, thing, Dylan, in this day and age. I mean, from Sorry. There, there's so many. Um, well, it's kind of made a quantum leap forward, I think, with the whole, you know, obviously Derek Trucks coming to the fore and certainly, you know, Sonny Landreth and, you know, the Jack Pearsons of the world. So, so finding a, a voice in it in this day and age is, is, uh, is an interesting track, but you have done it very masterfully. And I, what I like about it is, is that there's a thing that Dwayne had, uh, which was just this kind of syrupy greasy abandon you know? yes yes <laughs> and 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 that's what i like so much about dwayne's playing and, and i hear that and that's what i try to do when i play slide and you certainly mm-hmm. do what it when you do it
1: and you certainly
0: do it as well you do it as well man oh <laughs> uh, well thank you i mean it's just it's you know it's just such a um like first i'll, I'll be honest with you. i i listen to old allman brothers um bootlegs all the time, uh, online and I'll find some rickety, horrible audio version of, you know, live wherever during the Dwayne years and other years as well. But, and what's so fun about it is, is that even though what's interesting about it is that their set list really didn't change. They were the yeah. same, they played the same songs, but they would never play them the same way. Exactly. And Dwayne's versions of Statesboro blues, just every time, He's, and you could tell when he was really going on the limb and other times he was playing it safe, but it's just a delight. Now, do you, do you go all over those bootlegs as well and savor them and kind oh, of get yeah. in that headspace?
1: Oh, definitely. Yeah. Cause I mean, I, I definitely have noticed what you're talking about where like, and I actually read an article recently just saying where, you know, they, you know, Back then, it was you know they would be booked with other bands a lot of the time, and it was they just had like forty five minutes to just get out like everything they had to say, you know what I mean? So they just they had a really tight set list they would just do pretty much every time, but but yeah, man, I mean that's what I love so much about them is just the the improvisational aspect of um, of what they did, and uh, and yeah, just how like every every song, every moment, you know, just night to night was always a new kind of world, (laughs) you know what I mean? Right. uh, and yeah, and specifically with Dwayne's playing, I mean, when, uh, you know, when I first kind of got into the Allman Brothers, of course, it was like the Fillmore East album was the thing that really like yep. you know, caught my ear and was like, wow, this is incredible. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I dug into all of the, uh, you know, once I kind of spent. time with the filmer stuff i was like all right what else is there right so i mean i found like you know there's the ludlow garage you know bootleg like all the different shows and stuff and so yeah i sat down and um you know messed with a lot of that stuff listened to it and um you know transcribed a lot of the solos and everything and and yeah just that was a big part of kind of the beginnings of me, like learning slide was just, you know, really digging into all the different um, kind of versions of those same tunes and just hearing all the different ways that kind of Dwayne and Dickie would uh, right. you know, just approach them from night to night. So yeah, man, that was, yeah, I've done a ton of that for sure.
0: So what drew you to playing guitar to begin with?
1: Uh, so I've told this, uh, this story on a few of my videos and um, you know, in a couple podcasts that I've been on, it's, it's funny though. So it's actually the, uh, the Tony Hawks pro skater four video game is actually the first thing <laughs> and I'll, I'll explain why. So, uh, the intro song to that video game is TNT by ACDC. Yeah. Um, yeah, man, when I heard that for the first time, I was just like, Whoa, what is that? Like, that is the, that is the coolest shit. Like also, can I cuss? I don't
0: know. If- of course you can swear okay. to your heart's content.
1: Hell yeah. <laughs> but
0: uh, <laughs>
1: but yeah, so I heard that and I was, uh, I was like, oh my God, I, I need to learn how to do that. And I was, um, nine years old. And so, uh, yeah, so, I mean, it was that. And then also I have a few, um, cousins and uncles and things in, in my family who, um, who play guitar and I just kind of grew up around them at family reunions and stuff, just hearing them, um, And I just thought it was really cool. And so, yeah, hearing that ACDC song for the first time was kind of what really, like, awakened my, like, you know, just awareness of music and stuff. And so... So yeah, I mean, I um, begged my parents to get me a guitar, and they finally relented. And it's funny, I remember like actually being in um, in the store, like it was at Walmart, and my, you know, I was like looking at the first stacked guitar up on the shelf there, and, I, and my mom was like, "Are you sure you're gonna really get into this? Are you sure you're gonna do this?" And, I was
0: like, <laughs> <laughs> and so,
1: uh, and so, yeah, you know, they bought the guitar for me, and the the rest is history from there. But yeah, it was all. ACDC, Zeppelin, all the classic rock stuff in the beginning, you know, that was kind of what got me into it.
0: Which for someone your age is probably a little unusual, right? I mean, most of your contemporaries probably weren't into that stuff.
1: Definitely. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, all my friends were, you know, more into like, you know, hip hop and more alternative rock and stuff like that. So, so yeah, I guess it it was a little kind of unusual for me to kind of gravitate towards the older stuff, but it also kind of, I feel like it makes sense too, because my parents were listening to that stuff all the time. Sure. And so I was hearing it in the house, just, you know, 24 seven. And, uh, particularly my dad is a, uh, huge Allman brothers fan and he, um, he had that stuff playing, you know, like, you know, just from the time I was a little kid. And so I was always hearing it and, um, that amongst all the other classic rock stuff. So, so yeah, awesome. I think, um, yeah, I think they, they kind of set me up for, for success there. Hey, <laughs> and, excellent. So, so, what
0: really made you gravitate? I mean, I know you you play things other than slide, but what made you gravitate towards the slide as as like your thing
1: uh well, so so yeah, I mean the first probably like i don't know five or six years of playing guitar, like I didn't touch slide at all it was all just normal, you know, just learning the classic rock stuff and um yeah, and just not really you know like i you know, I, I think I had a slide and kind of dabbled in it, but just sounded, you know, probably just sounded like a dying cat or whatever. You know, just did the <laughs> did, did like the slide whistle kind of, right? You know, kind of thing, <laughs> just for fun. But uh, you know, but that was the extent of it for a long time. But um, but yeah, it really was. Uh, you know, when I was about fourteen or fifteen, I just I heard Statesboro Blues from the Phil East album, and it wasn't like it was the first time I heard it because, like I said, my dad was playing that stuff all throughout my childhood. But sure, um. I think it, it took until I was a teenager for it to really sink in because like, you know, being into like ACDC, Black Sabbath, like that stuff, like as a kid, at least going and hearing the Almond Brothers was it was maybe a little bit like older sounding for me, sure. it was a little more rooted in like the just blues. And so at first when I was first hearing that stuff as a kid, it was a little bit like, I was like, ah, that stuff's not cool. You know, it, was, sure. it wasn't like rock enough for me. Right, I get it. I don't know, man. Something just, uh, something just clicked when I was um, yeah, I was like 15 and the Fillmore East album ended up on my iPod somehow. And I, uh, yeah, I just one day just went and listened to Statesboro and just hearing Dwayne's slide on that, just like, For some reason it just it just really captured me that you know at that age it was just the perfect time. I was just like, oh my God, this is so like it was just so fiery and expressive. And you know, like I don't know, I just didn't, you know, until I heard that, I didn't really have, you know, I didn't know that like you could make sounds like that with the slide. I thought it was just like Hawaiian music and like (laughs) you know, just you, you know, like I didn't realize you could do things that just uh high flying and you know and just fiery and you know amazing sounding with the slides so so yeah i mean that just just totally captured me and uh, from then on i was just like i have to learn how to do that i just i have to you know be able to get that sound and so so yeah that just totally set me on the path of kind of like we were saying just really digging deep into the almond brothers stuff and yeah the more i uh, the more that i mess with it it just i just kind of I don't know. I just, I just loved it. I just loved the sound of it, you know? So I just, uh, and then I eventually discovered Derek Trucks, of course. And, um, and yeah, so just, you know, it was never like a conscious choice of like, I'm going to be a slide guitar guy, you know what I mean? I was just, you know, and I never even really had like, you know, until I was in my late teens, I'd never had like the aspiration to like be a musician so much. It was more of just like, I just loved playing guitar so much and I didn't, it wasn't like, oh, I want to, you know, be a professional musician. I don't want to like, it, it wasn't even about like, oh, I want to impress the girls or anything like that. Right. I was so enamored with like just the guitar itself and, you know, and just being able to play like my heroes, that was just all I cared about. And so, um, so yeah, just, you know, once I found the Almond Brothers stuff, that really just kind of set me on the, on the path that I, um, still on today. So. Yeah. Well, you know what? It's
0: an interesting thing. I remember when I, when I first discovered the Alman Brothers. I mean, it was, it was kind of a weird thing for me because in my age group, a lot of people. I mean, I, I was very influenced by what was in my older brother's record collection, and uh, and he liked the Alman Brothers, but there there wasn't live in the Fillmore in his record collection, but it was in my sister's record collection. Really? And I remember <laughs> I had seen. Live at the Fillmore, and I had seen brothers and sisters in there lurking somewhere. But for whatever reason, I, I hadn't um, – it, it hadn't got into my uh, hyper-focus yet because that's kind of how I would roll still to this day. It's like once I'm on something, it's yeah. like the eye of Sauron, and I just burn, burn, <laughs> burn, and then I move on yeah. to the next thing. Yeah, me too. And, me uh, too. But I saw the Almond Brothers live. Um, there's a big festival in Milwaukee called Summerfest, and this is probably 1981, maybe. Oh wow! So so yeah. that's like the was Dan Toller, the Danny Toller years. Who <laughs> yep. I just I adored his tone and his whole thing, right? Yep. And yep. um and I again I was familiar with, but wasn't necessarily like you know, a, a fan per se. And that was back in the day where it was festival seating and, you, you know, it was general admission. So if you wanted a decent seat, you had to wait literally all day long <laughs> right. on a bench, you yep. know, for the show. And we did, you know, and people would run and get beer and come back and yada, yada. And the show blew my mind, right? right. First of all, the yep. uh, uh, I remember that um, um, Jimmy Thackeray and the, uh, oh, come on, brain. Uh, I know people are yelling at the, at their screens right now going, uh, it's a band from Washington, DC. Um, the the Nighthawks. Hell, thanks. (laughs) Thanks brain. Uh, the Nighthawks (laughs) opened up and they were awesome. And Jimmy Thackeray blew my mind because he, he played a Strat and he, it was a blues thing, but you could tell he had a bit of the Hendrix in him and he would occasionally, you know, do a little, you know, it was (laughs) awesome. But then yeah, the Allman I mean, Brothers came out yeah, and they just annihilated. And I remember, right, the first thing I did when I got home is I went through my sister's records and I found uh, every Elman Brothers record I could. And when you start digging into it, especially, you know, at a young, formative age, and you compare it to the other bands that you were familiar with, you're just like, this band is pretty untouchable. <laughs> <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? They, man. That's... they rocked. There was a there was a jazz, just enough jazz element. Um, they were great instrumentalists, great tones, great soloists, and Greg Allman was arguably one of the greatest vocalists of all time. Dude,
1: absolutely, and I think that was one of the things that set them apart. Really, was like you know, especially with the jam band thing, is like, hey man, I, I love the Dead as much as anyone else, or like you know, or Fisher, or any of those bands, but like they don't have the singing quite on that same level as like what i mean greg was like a true bona fide like blues soul singer i mean he was like he was the real shit you know and like and i feel the same way just about the band in general i mean you know the the guitar was of course the thing that first drew me into them but like them as a unit i just feel like they were on just another you know i don't want to sound too elitist or whatever but like they were on just another kind of plane from everyone else of that time. You know what I mean? Like they just had just the perfect kind of, you know, balance of like, like you said, they could rock, but they, you know, they also were just authentic to like the real like blues, you know, Right. they had the jazz element, they had the improvisational element and just, yeah, man, they were, they were just on another level. And I feel like it's cool. You always hear about people talking about like the Fillmore days and, particularly when um, apparently when they recorded like the Fillmore album, which was, I think, in March of 71. Like, and I like, by the way, like, I'm a total nerd about all the history. It's all it. my <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so it was March 71. And I think the the bill for those nights of shows, it was like Almond Brothers and somebody else. And then Johnny Winter and the Almond Brothers were opening for Johnny Winter. Right. In the first night, you know, the Allman Brothers played their set and just fucking tore the house down, of course. Right. And and, uh, you know, there's multiple accounts of people saying when Johnny Winter went on after. I mean, he's great. Of course, he's a legend. But like he just sounded small compared to them. You know what I mean? Oh, like, yeah. I mean, that's that was an
0: orchestrated <laughs> yeah, beast of a band. As yeah, a, I mean, man. it would just overshadow anything, really.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, man, they, you know, just as a, and I feel like as I kind of like mature as a musician and like, you know, have like come to listen to other instruments and really kind of pay attention to what's going on in like a, you know, in terms of a band situation, like, yeah, man, they, they really could just, they, they would just have moments that just no other, no other band could possibly have, you know, and just the way that like every moment of their, you know, of any of one of their songs, it was always just kind of morphing and changing. And like every, every individual moment is its own kind of space. Like it's,
0: it's just, it's a man. I could go on all day about them. (laughs) Yes. I, well, I agree. And and what's interesting is the more, you know, I'm sure you've read all of the, uh, the various books that have come out and, um, and there's some great ones. And um, one of my favorite one is actually Galadriel Allman's book. Which yeah. I thought was 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 an excellent book, but um, yep. you know, uh, Alan Paul's books are great, and I really enjoyed those. But um, he's
1: a great guy too. We actually Smokestack, the band I play, and we actually just did a, a gig with him where he uh, did like a kind of um, little book reading and kind of nice. Q and A, and then we played after him. It was, it was and you know I got to hang out with him after the gig and stuff. He's a he's a great dude. So yeah, he
0: seems like a great guy. Yep. Right and, and when you read those books, I mean, you really get the idea of. I don't know if you have the same opinion, but to me, it seems that, well, well, for sure, without a doubt, the original incarnation would not exist if it wasn't for Dwayne. Oh, but, yeah. It was but later. I would say that, you know, it was Dwayne's vision all across the board and he set the template that was so strong that, you know, I don't think, I don't think Dickie, as much as he wrote great songs and, yeah, but he wasn't the leader that Dwayne was and nor and Greg right. argued would never wanted to be the leader. So exactly. I think the only reason why they were able to, there was just such momentum from what Dwayne had started that that's what carried it on really to the last days. I mean, that's that,
1: Yeah, exactly, man. I mean, he just, you know, from what it sounds like, I mean, he was just a hell of a guy and like an intense guy and just was, you know, yeah, just that band and like his vision and what, you know, you know what they were doing just like meant absolutely everything to him and to the whole band, you know, and so yeah, man, like just yeah, what what he, you know, what he kind of established with that band, I, like like you said, I feel like, you know, it just started something that lasted for like fucking 50 years, you know. Yes. I mean, and like and not just with them, but like just all of obviously the countless musicians who have been influenced by the band, but, you know, especially by Dwayne and like, you know, yeah. I mean, he just started an entire, like just movement. And I feel like not just with the slide guitar, but just with the whole thing that, that he, you know, just the whole thing that he started with them, man. It's, it's like, right. Yeah, It's something else. It's something else. So. And
0: and what I like about he, he, you know, a lot of what his statements would be like was, you know, there's a thread running through, you know, a lot of the people I, um, I've always looked up to and it's not the exact same perspectives, but in a lot of ways, it's like Dwayne was going to do what he wanted to do. And no matter how many people told him, you're crazy, this will never work. Yep. Um, no one wants to hear that. You know, you're, you're too loud. Uh, you, you know, uh, there's too much jamming. You know what I mean? He's like, no, 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 this, I know what's going to work and this is going to work.
1: Yep. Frank yeah. Zappa
0: was like the same way. He's like, look, I don't, you know, I don't need, you know, I, I'm not making music for people who don't like it. I'm making my <laughs> right. music that I like. And if I can get enough people to enjoy it, I will make as much of that music for them as possible, you know? Exactly. And, and, uh, and then I was, you know, my, my daughter uh, uh been writing a bunch of songs and she's going to be doing stuff. And and she's like, well, what does a producer do? And, and, the, and I was kind of telling her what's going on. And Rick Rubin, I just said, this is what Rick Rubin has to say. And he's got, he's like, listen, you don't make music for uh, the end user. You make music for yourself. And you, and if you love it and put everything into it to make the best music you possibly can, almost as like a, like a prayer or an offering to whatever you might believe in, it, it, uh, you know, the success isn't, that's the success. You know, and anything that exactly. happens after that, it's, it's like the less you, uh, really care about the result and just care into the moment and making the stuff um, it seems to reap its own benefits. And certainly Dwayne was all about that. You know what I mean? Yeah,
1: man, exactly. Like it's you know, as long as you stay true to yourself, then like somebody's going to dig it, you know? right? And yeah, man, like it, it, as soon as you start trying to like cater too much to any one given audience or anything like that, that's, it's going to go downhill quick from there. You know what I mean? Right. As soon if as you're trying to like pander to any particular group, like you know, it may still end up being successful, but it's not going to be true and authentic to who you are. And, you know, it's not going to be like the real shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Right. Right, right. Well,
0: that, that's it. I mean, my my line that I like to use, is like, look, I don't need a million. I just need enough. Right. You just need enough <laughs> yeah. people digging yes. what you do. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and that's and, you know, and don't worry about the rest. And arguably, I, you know, a lot of times when people, you know, get meteoric success, per se, of which of which the Almond Brothers did. You know, yeah. certainly. Uh, but it kind of came, you know, I mean, they were busting their asses off, you know, on oh, the yeah, road, man. just, you know, and those first two records, as great as they were, didn't really sell anything in comparison
1: right, to right. what the yeah. film
0: or sold. And, uh, but, you know, to be, I mean, they, they could have never been discovered, you know I mean? Really? You yeah, know what I mean? But, they, but I don't think they would have cared.
1: <laughs> I know. Yeah, They were, they were still going to do it exactly the way they were doing it, you know? But, uh, man, but yeah, I think it was that, um, you know, that determination and that like just hit the road for like 300 days out of the year, like for those first couple of years, I feel like that kind of was what made them, you know, I mean, of course the film or album is what skyrocketed them, but like, you know, I feel like even before that, from what I've heard, like the, you know, just live music fans were kind of starting to really catch wind of them. You know what I mean? Right. Just just from like the pure like word of mouth of just how much they were touring. You right. Know? People were going to see them and going like, holy shit, like look like who are these guys, you know, right. telling their friends about and stuff. So yeah, man. It's um yeah, it's 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 uh it's the real deal, man. The, yeah, their their music um continues to, you know, inspire me to this day. And I feel like it's uh, you know, as much as I you know I've like just my taste in music has kind of expanded out from just kind of where I started with them. Like, you know, they, they always will, um, yeah, just inspire me more than, you know, any, anything else, you know, I mean, I still like, I'll, I'll go back to the, you know, the Fillmore album in particular, that's the one that really does it for me. And like, if I, you know, if I'm ever like in a rut musically or like I just am not feeling inspired or anything like that, like I can, you know, I can always rely on that. On that, right. album. You know, I'll just go back and it's, it's like it's like yes, this is why I'm doing this. You know what I mean? And yes,
0: and so, absolutely. Uh,
1: so yeah, man, not, nothing really quite moves me like uh, like you know Dwayne and Dicky's playing and just the the whole that whole original band, man. It's you know nothing nothing like it. You know, so a- absolutely.
0: So what other once you started getting into Dwayne and what what other kind of where did that lead you in terms of other guitar players that uh helped you especially with your your slide style
1: yeah, so I mean you know I think the the obvious kind of next step after dwayne of course is you know derek trucks um and uh so um you know he's just this guy like he might not hurt me. He's just a <laughs> yeah, local Jacksonville guy now <laughs> but uh he uh but yeah no so you know I kind of naturally discovered Derek trucks after that and um kind of did the same thing with him as I did with Dwayne where I just really kind of dug deep into his stuff, you know, lots listening to lots of live recordings and um, particularly that uh, the Songlines live DVD um, right. was one that I really, really listened to a lot. Um, same for the the Road Songs live album. And um, so, yeah, I mean, the, he was kind of the next step for me. And of course I was, you know, I was also like, Digging, like, Kind of going back to the kind of earlier blue stuff like Elmore James and right. Blind Willie Johnson and, you know, Sunhouse and all of the like, you know, the original stuff. Um, so I was kind of taking from all of that as well and kind of soaking all that in. But yeah, the real next kind of thing for me was was Derek. And from there, you know, because I feel like. Um, when you do de- when you get into like the Almond Brothers and the Southern Rock stuff, it's um I think it's really easy to kind of you know the next step after that for a lot of people is like okay well they're you know people that consider them to be Southern Rock which I kind of don't but I, I mean, never really did yeah they're, they're they're not I know I know how they kind of started the movement but they're not you know at least I certain- think of
0: Skinner as Southern Rock
1: exactly that's what I'm gonna say it's like a lot of people they they hear Almond Brothers and they're like that's cool let me go listen to Skynyrd and Marshall Tucker and you know, Molly Hatchet and stuff, which those are wonderful bands. And I still, I know I love them too, but like, but for me, I was more interested in like kind of digging into what they were, you know, influenced by and what they were, you know, what they were listening and how they kind of came to that sound. So, you know, just with, uh, yeah, with them, it was more going back to like the old blue stuff. And then with Derek, you know, he's, he drew from a lot of like, of course, jazz and, kind of a little bit more of the, like, R&B, like, you know, Donny Hathaway, and, right. like, you know, some of the, like, Sly and the Family Stone, and, like, kind of funk stuff like that as well. And so, so yeah, I, I feel like, you know, and also, like, the world music and stuff, of course. So, I mean, I feel like getting into Derek is what really exposed me to, like, more than just, like, rock and blues, you know? Sure. And that, that's kind of, like, getting into his stuff was kind of, it took me down a path of, like, really digging into, like, you know, all the classic jazz stuff, like, you know, Coltrane, Miles Davis, of course, and like all of the, you know, you know, all, all of the, the jazz greats and stuff of sure. the 50s and 60s. And then like I said, just all the, you know, kind of 60s soul and RB and and funk and all that stuff, which that kind of realm is like really what um, you know, just pretty much my whole like twenties and like my whole adult life so far has been really kind of like digging into that stuff mostly, you know what I mean? And that's, and you know, and kind of when it comes to the slides specifically, like after spending a ton of time on the, you know, on the Derek stuff, a lot of it was like, you know, again, just taking like, you know, horn solos, like Coltrane solos and things like that. And like kind of trying to get that stuff into my slide playing, which, you know, for me is like a lot of just literally just sitting there learning like horn solos and like, you know, even piano solos sometimes. And, listening to a lot of vocalists as well. Like, you sure. know, like gospel and, you know, and R and B and, and blue singers and stuff like, you know, Mahalia Jackson, Aretha Franklin, you know, all, all of the, all of those greats. So, so yeah, I mean, when it comes to slides specifically, those, are that's kind of been like my main sort of like stuff that I've really gotten into is like Dwayne, Derek, and then just kind of going off from there. Yeah. Into-
0: I gotcha.
1: Yep. All the rest of the stuff.
0: <laughs> so, um, so let me ask you this. I, I, about, I don't even know how many years ago it was now, but um that's a ways ways back now. Time goes by fast, Dylan. Beware. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, I, yes. I remember I um, you know, I would hear Derek play and I would be I'd be like, how is he getting that intonation so spot on? Especially like with the East Indian stuff, you know, like um, I can't remember the name of those tunes. that you know those tunes yeah
1: there's the i think sahib terry Bandi or whatever there that's you go like yeah, his main, that's like his main one yeah it's yeah. like a cover of a of an indian classical tune yep
0: exactly and mm-hmm. so i started messing with it one day and then i ended up pressing down on the fretboard with the slide and getting those you know fretting with the slide to get those intervals correctly and to get those microtones correctly Mm -hmm. yeah without without getting
1: the kind of like you know this this little like slides in between you know so you can actually like land on those intervals exactly yeah
0: yeah. so i started doing that i was like well this must must this must be how he did it initially and i and i didn't know if he did but then i kind of heard it sounds like he's doing that when you hear him he might be you know pressing down for just a split second But then after I did it for a period of time, your ear kind of takes over and then it just becomes muscle memory and you don't really need to press down with the slide. But I was wondering, did you do that at all? Did you?
1: So it's funny. I actually, I, um, I have heard you talk about this in videos and stuff. And so I, it's funny, like, I didn't really think of it like that. I didn't, I like that didn't really, um, like that didn't occur to me. Like until I heard you talk about it. So I didn't, um, I was never like actively trying to do that. And, um, but you know, once, once I, uh, you know, I saw a video of you talking about that, I was like, huh, let me go, (laughs) let me go pay a little bit more attention. And, and so I kind of, I feel like to me, it's, I don't know if Derek was like actively set out to do that. And like, I don't, I'm not sure if he actually had that idea, like you know, to go like, you know what, I'm going to press down on the frets and that's how I'm going to get the intonation, but I feel he does do that though. You know what I mean? Right. Like he, you hear it, like you kind of almost hear that Um, you kind of hear that fret sort of sound a little bit and something, you know, not all the time, but like every now and again, you hear it, right? You hear that thing. Yeah. So it's yeah. like, you know, and that's not to, that's not to say that like he couldn't have great intonation without doing that. But like, I think that is something that he does. And, um, and I definitely hear it. And I, I definitely like, I will catch myself doing it sometimes, but I almost, I kind of tried to keep it as like, you know, I guess I try
0: to rely on that as little as possible. You know what I mean? Like yeah, I've I done actually, that now too. I, I don't, I actually, I do it intentionally if I want those, gl, those glissandos. Cause I remember I heard Sonny Landreth do that years ago where I thought, what is that thing? It was like, yeah, you hear exactly. those frets going by. It's totally cool. Yep, so, yep. so yeah, I, I think of it as it was a great tool Yes. Yep. to train the ear and then, and then muscle memory takes over and you don't need to do it anymore.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Um, yeah. And it kind of like another aspect of it too. And, you know, I've, I've started like teaching lessons recently and stuff and um, you know, it's kind of forced me to like really kind of zoom in on what it, what I'm actually doing when I'm playing. Sure, I understand. A lot of yep. it is like just subconscious, like, you know, not even really realizing what's really going on there. But but yeah, it's like a combination of that. And I've found too that um, kind of like how you position your thumb on the back of the neck, which I mean, you know, this, the, it's only, we're only going to have audio, you know, with, you know, when this gets put out, right? So you won't be able to see what I'm doing. But like essentially having your thumb placed flat against the back of the neck and kind of like almost like a few frets behind where you're actually going to be playing, you know, with where you're going to be putting the slide. And then right. using that as sort of an anchor point to, you know, essentially like what you can, I feel like what you can do is almost like snap your, I don't know. It's like, what you, uh, it's hard to explain. Like, essentially all right. you just kind of use like that, uh, like that, your thumb there is kind of like a spot to just, um, you You can almost train your hand to like, all right, I'm going to move up this amount to get to like, uh, you know, uh, right. step above. And then I'm going to move it this amount to get a whole step below. And like, you know, kind of a complicated- like anchor point. It's an anchor point. Yeah. And that in combination with that kind of fretting thing, I feel like is kind of like, that's really how you can get that like really ultra precise kind of intonation with those, particularly the, um, it's, I think where it really kind of counts is with doing those single string, like gospel singer kind of lines, you know?
0: Right. Exactly.
1: That's that's kind of where you really need that. So, so anyway, yeah, that's definitely something like I've, you know, I've, thanks to you, I've become aware of and, (laughs) but, uh, but yeah, I, um, yeah, I'd I'd say now I try and actively avoid it. Like sometimes it just happens, especially on the high E string. I feel like is where it kind of, um, you know, it's it's the easiest to accidentally like you know kind of touch a, fret a little, you know, here and there. Sure. But, um, but but yeah, no, it is a, it is a useful tool for sure, and that's that's something that, um, yeah, I think that's something that that Derek does for sure. So
0: <laughs> we interrupt this regularly scheduled gristle infested conversation. To give a special shout out to our friends at Fishman Transducers, makers of the Greg Koch Signature Fluence Gristle Tone pickup set. Can you dig that? And our friends at Wildwood Guitars of Louisville, Colorado, bringing the heat in the shadow of the Rocky Mountains. You know, it's interesting also is that I, I, I don't know if you're the same way, but it seems that like if, especially if you're doing, as you said, the the single string kind of pentatonic fall off to sound like a vocalist in a descending pattern. Yep. It's just a quick upburst for some reason, going up first and then down for some reason calibrates me and I'm able to hit yeah all the right notes on the way down. It's the weirdest thing. And and then I noticed with Dwayne too, it's like everything seems to be, be approaching from below. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and yeah. and it, that's what gives it that syrupy,
1: yeah, he gives us like the where, 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 where like all of yeah, those exactly. sort of little things. Yeah, it's all, you're right. You're right. That's a lot of how he kind of, um, yeah, like just phrases things for sure. And like, um, you know, something I've heard Jack Pearson talk about too is like how with Dwayne specifically, how he kind of falls off notes
0: too. Yes, exactly. It's yeah. Like
1: he slides up into them, but he also like kind of like, where, like yeah, exactly. Falls, of falls off. Like,
0: exactly. He kind yep.
1: of falls off of them in this certain way. But, with his conventional
0: <laughs> playing, he would do that as well. There's yeah. like, nee, you know, there's always that little,
1: toss. yeah, those, those little bends and stuff. So, know. Oh, it's, yeah. it's so many little subtleties and stuff that was playing, but, uh, but yeah, no, definitely, like kind of having that little like where you kind of like whip into something and then go back. It kind of, yes. it kind of sets that like it kind of sets like where your hand position is going to be, and then you can kind of go from there. But exactly. it's funny though, I do find though that I have a, um, I have a little bit more trouble like. Say if you're doing like a really like kind of longer legato line on one string going up a scale and kind of getting that like you know kind of going do 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 like kind of trying to articulate each note in the scale going up seems or seems to be more difficult for me than going down for some reason yeah, like, exactly. like going like do 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 down the scale like that with the slide is always easier for me which I
0: don't, I don't know why that is but I don't know why either it's a it's a weird thing <clears throat> yeah.
1: Yeah, no, but, uh, but yeah, man. So, um, but yeah. And, so, and man, something else that I've, that I've heard you say on, you know, when talking about like slide and I'm um, kind of talking about like Dwayne and, uh, and Derek and things like that is that I think is that when I first heard you say it, I was like, yes, like, I, I, I agree with that so much. Like, you know, Derek Trucks is, you know, an absolute just, you know, freak of nature and absolutely incredible. And he's one of my favorite guitarists. And, you know, he's one of the greatest guitarists alive today. But there's what your words were with Dwayne, there's a certain vulnerability to his playing. yes, And it's like, you know, like Derek Trucks can just, he can fucking just do anything, right? And he's like, his playing is just so perfect. Yes, it's 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 flawless. It's flawless, yeah. But with Dwayne's playing, it's like there's just this extra, you know, like he might not, you know, he might go for something and he might, might not like exactly. to nail it or it might be kind of, it might have a little kind of, you know, flub to it or it might not be perfect. And that's, I feel like that's like part of like the charm of his playing. And it's, it's part of what makes his playing so expressive and and just, you know, yeah. And, and just, I don't know. Yeah. That's just one of the things that I love about his playing so much. And I, that's, I remember like hearing you say that, it's like, yes, that's like, that's so, yeah. Cause you never reality, know. I mean, you know?
0: sometimes, the intonation got a little funky, but it was it was in <laughs> yeah. going for it that yeah. the magic happened. Another guy that always reminded me of that too, it would go for stuff and you'd never you'd be on the edge of your seat because you wouldn't know if it was gonna work out or not was um was Mike Bloomfield's playing. Yeah. You know, yeah. we'd have that great vibrato and stuff, and sometimes he'd go over stuff and you're like, ah, you know, but it just it just had that 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 thing.
1: I know it almost, it almost gives it a little bit more, just, I don't know if intensity is the right word, but it just, it almost feels more like human and more like real or something, you know, it's like, it, it just, it just gives it that, yeah, it just gives it that kind of human, just kind of, you know, imperfection to it that just makes it beautiful, you know? Well, it's,
0: it's, I was thinking about this the other day, I was talking with my buddy Reggie Hamilton, who's just an unbelievable bass player and his ears are massive and, you know, he's a, he's a well-studied musician. And, um, and I was getting at the point of, you know, when I was thinking about the, the question I was asking him, and then I asked Eric Johnson, the same type of question. I was like, well, how much advanced theory did you have in terms of, I mean, you hear some of the old school teachers, you know, that taught a lot of the folks at, you know, out east at Berkeley or Orland school of music or wherever, Ormond, Orland, something like that. Anyway, uh, they would give them this, these real arduous, you know, you had to. Okay, sing our uh, an arpeggio of this, starting with this note. Now do it in the circle of fifth. You know all this stuff where you really had to know really your stuff. Worked. Or okay, yeah, yeah. spell to me every you know note in this particular chord. And and when I went to school, I didn't do any of that. I mean, I I practiced my scales and you know, and I, I practiced my arpeggios and so on and so forth. But I didn't have like the terror, you know, terrorizing. Ear training, where you, I mean, I had ear training, but it wasn't like okay. that, you know, to that extreme. Yeah. yeah. And, yep. and, I, and where I'm going with this is that I'm, and I think as a result of the fact that my ear is trained to the point where I, you know, I can hear pretty complex harmony, but there's times where I still surprise myself because I just grabs like, oh, I didn't know that could work. You know what I mean? As yes. opposed to being yes. trained to such a point where that you nothing's like, a surprise. Know, yeah, you know you I mean? know <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly.
1: Exactly. And I think
0: that that's why I always, I always was affected more by more un. I mean, and again, I am not throwing shade at people who have, this is not a uh, uh, a, casting aspersions at trained musicians. I'm not saying that at all. Oh
1: yeah, absolutely.
0: Of course. I'm just saying that it seems that there is an aspect of something that I really enjoy when people have a great deal of musicality, uh, but they're going for stuff that they don't quite fully understand. And as a result, yeah. it yeah. sounds awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: Man. I totally agree. I mean, it's like I feel like it's kind of a balance where you know, because you hear the guys who are like, they're like, oh, you know, I don't need any music theory. Like, I, you know, I just feel, I, I just feel what i play. Yeah, that's the other extreme, right? That's <laughs> the other extreme, right? And like, and, and when you go too far in that direction, it's like, well, yeah, but then you, you're not, your playing isn't informed in any way, and it just, you know, exactly. It, it just, I mean, you might have a great ear and you might be able to just kind of intuitively find things, but when you know, when you just have your kind of stock little areas that you go to all the time, and like, you know it, it kind of limits you and it makes it makes a player maybe a little bit less interesting, you know, but right. then you go know, the, the complete opposite way, like where you're talking about where it's like, nothing is a surprise. Like they know, you know, music, just 1 million percent inside it out. And then things can get almost a little bit too mathematical and too athletic and too, you know what I mean? Like it loses some of the, you know, some of the just yeah. the rawness of it. Yeah. And yeah. so um, so yeah, there's, I feel like there's this sweet spot right in the middle where you, right. you, know, you you can have some training and like, you know, it's good to like know music, you know what I mean? Know what you're doing, know some theory, you know, like understand harmony, be able to hear harmony, have some, you know, ear training kind of, uh, in your belt and stuff like that, but still have a little bit of room for like, I don't know, I might just try something and it might just be like, Oh, you know, like, I don't know. Yeah. Just just to, to have a little bit of that, um, yeah, again, like kind of like you said, like the vulnerability, you know, it's uh I feel like there's a fine line there where it just, you know, you keep that kind of soul and that rawness and that's uh, just kind of fire in there, but still have it be like informed and, you know, um, intentional and purposeful. Because that's like, you know, when it comes to like soloing and improvising, I mean, I'm sure as you know, too, it's like just the... Um, You know, I never want to just play anything just for the sake of it or just like, I never want to play anything just totally like mindlessly. I want to always have like kind of something like an idea or like a motif or like, I want to just have like a, you know, just an intention behind whatever it is that I'm playing, whether it's like, you know, playing along to the chord changes or having just whatever idea I have in my head, like. So, so yeah, that's kind of what I'm always chasing is that kind of like just finding that middle ground, you know what I mean? Like not being too like, you know, music theory nerd, but not being too like, you know. Right. I get it. Finalist blues noodler guy.
0: (laughs) I get it. I mean, and again, you know, taking in the spirit of what we're talking about here, folks, I'm not saying don't learn as much as you possibly can. I'm not saying that. (laughs) Uh, I'm saying you definitely should. I mean, but there's a, I think what, and and again, this is just me spitballing. I think that um it's possible that when you've reached the point where there's such a level of, uh I mean, when you're, you know, one minute sitting down and, and playing through, you know, a classical piece, sight reading it, and being able to play this, you know, amazing thing, and then sitting down and, you know, maybe transposing, you know, a solo of giant steps into every key, and then, you know, okay. going, you know what I mean? When there's that level the fascination becomes the harmony and not necessarily the greasy bits that we're talking about how much we like. Cause they'd be like, what is that greasy? You know, that, that's not what we're talking. You know you know what I mean? There's not going to be that level of fascination. So it's really, it's just a matter of taste. It's not a good or a bad.
1: Yeah, of course. It's it's just
0: a matter of taste is what I mean.
1: And I mean, ultimately if, you know, like if that is what does it for you, if like, you know, if you, if you're sitting there listening to, you know, whatever, you know, jazz stuff or whatever, and be like, oh, that, that, uh, that polychord right there, like, oh, that's the, you know, right, right, exactly. <laughs> if that's the thing that does it for you, then, like, then great, you know what I mean? But, right, exactly. You know, like, like to if, each if, their if, own, as yeah, they if, say. If the fan, yes, exactly. If, if the fancy shit and, and the, you know, digging into the theory and all that stuff is what really does it for you, then, like, then, hey, great. And I mean, it kind of, and also, like you said, it's like, I mean, there, are, there are so many, like, I have a solid handle of, like, you know, just kind of, you know, like diatonic harmony and modes and some like kind of jazz concepts and stuff like that. But like, you know, there's still so much of that, that I, um, that is kind of mysterious to me and that I want to learn. And so it's like, so yeah, like along the lines of what you said, it's like, uh, you know, never, never, you know, never choose to like not learn something just just because it, you know you feel like oh it's you know it's going to take away my soul or whatever you <laughs> know it's like you know <laughs> like just yeah like always be learning and and even those guys that are like at you know that just know everything it's like you know, you really, uh, you know, that's never a place you want to be, where you just you, you feel like, oh, I've got it all. You know, there's nothing else. Right. Like it. There's always something to you know. There's always something more to learn. So
0: exactly correct.
1: But and it's you know it's funny too, talk, like talking to you, man. I almost feel silly saying stuff like that because from my perspective, you seem like a guy who just can like do anything and like. I uh-huh. mean, listening to you play, man, it's it's like I mean, I don't want to you know like gush too much, but like, man, like when we saw like when I went and saw you um, at that show earlier this year like i literally have never been so simultaneously like inspired impressed and intimidated ah. <laughs> you know, by, by, a, by a guitarist that, like like man like it's just what what you do man is just oh you know, i appreciate it, that Believe I mean, me. you know and i know that like you know like i'm sure from your perspective like it's the same for everyone like no matter how good you are like everyone kind of um, you know, as their own worst critic and everything. and But like, yeah, man, just hearing you play, it really is, is just like awe-inspiring. <laughs> and it just... Oh, it, well, thank
0: you very from, much. From, from I appreciate like, that.
1: A, from like an outside perspective, it just, it really does seem like you can, you know, you just have access to all of it, man. And But, but while still keeping the, the grease and the... And the oh, well, thank place, you. So, I yeah, mean, I, man, it's, it's you weird. know, it's a
0: weird thing. I mean, I've, uh, there are definitely things that have just, like harmony things that have come together it's like when you go to when you go to school for music, you get all of this information, right? And and there's stuff that y- it may not actually click on until like years later. Yeah, man. Yes. And definitely. so there there definitely. are some things that you know be like, oh, oh, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> that is like you know,
1: that, that's how you use a Lydian dominant scale or whatever. You know what I
0: mean? That's right. Exactly. It. Yeah. yeah and, all and, of that. Uh, Yep. Mm-hmm. those things like that you know like playing over you know flat 5 chords and and yep. um, augmented chords and um all that kind of stuff you know it took there would be like i'd hear a um i'd hear a blues i'd hear more of a jazz blues right and there would be like a uh, a 3625 turnaround yep and i'd be like there's there's notes in there that they're playing over that thing yep oh, is that is that harmonic minor is that melodic minor, whatever it is? By the time I figure out what it's doing, it's over. And so right. it took me the <laughs> no, longest right. time to be able to make sense out of that and make it musical.
1: Yes. Yep. Um,
0: exactly. And uh, it took a while. And there were just little things over the years that that gradually made sense. But you know, and I was lucky yeah, too man. that I, you know, I, I had so many opportunities to um, to just play guitar and get paid. You know, from the Wildwood thing, you know, I'm practicing, basically practicing. I'm trying to make it interesting and doing whatever. But, you know, I I get to try stuff, you know, and and I always have my own band. So I always, you know, I would put things in the set that um, I wanted to explore. A lot of times I would write a tune that involved harmony and so on and so forth that fascinated me that I didn't really kind of have a grasp on yet.
1: Yeah, and so, so it, it becomes like of, almost an exercise to kind of like, you know, work it work out these concepts in, in real time. And
0: exactly. You know, yeah. And, um,
1: and I, I, I really do feel like the, the stage is kind of one of the best places to to kind of hone your craft. You know, I mean, you don't want to you don't want to be like in the middle of a soul like, oh, like, where, where is that? Again? Exactly. <laughs> but, like, but, you know, you do like, yeah, like a lot of kind of like the leaps that I've made with my playing has been you know, on the stage for sure. But, but Yeah, was-
0: that's just the nature of the beast. It's it's really true. And then the, the road work, I will say, I mean, obviously I've been traveling for years, but a lot of times, you know, not always with the band. A lot of times just me, you know, doing clinics and whatnot. And then I would maybe tour, you know, a few weeks out of the year with the band. Right. And now in the last three years, it's been way more than it's ever been. And, yeah. and I can tell you that that, you know, playing with the band night after night, going all over the place. Not only does the band congeal in a way and yep. function as a unit, but you just play differently. Your whole approach to the instrument changes. You change the weight because, you know, you're, you're having to work out things like, you know, when you're doing gigs around town and, and, and whatever else, those are always awesome too. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. But when you're on the road and you got to figure out what's going to sound good in yeah. every room, how am I going to be able to be consistent and, you know, and, and have enough power and, and all, yep. it, it, you just, it, it's like you make quantum leaps as soon as you hit <laughs> hit the road. And, that, and yep. I would always yep. be very, um, uh, not not dismissive at all, but it was just, it was very hard to do road stuff when I was younger because I had younger kids and getting an agent is is like the hardest thing. I mean, is, I mean, you know, record deals don't really exist anymore, certainly in the way that they did. I mean, there are still some yeah, record right. deals of which you know, if you can make them work, God bless you. But I think, you know, getting a record deal back in the day was easier than getting a booking agent. Right. And it's still to this day, a booking agent is extraordinarily difficult to get. That's going to book you stuff all over the place. And so now that I finally have one and we're able to get out on the road, I'm just realizing, oh man, and, of course, it, it had to happen now because, I mean, everything that had to happen before, you know, happened for a reason, I'd like to think. Right. Yeah, and now my yeah. kids are older. And, of course, my, my son is playing in the band, so everything's kind of worked out that way. But there's yeah. definitely a whole different thing that happens. Well, really, with any experience playing, let's just be honest. So whether it's road or playing with someone else or doing session work, you find yourself in all these yep. differences, and they all inform your your thing. Yeah.
1: And, and you find out what works and what doesn't work really fast.
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: Know? And it kind of forces you to really kind of be on your toes and like, you know, as soon as something's not working or you try something like, oh, that's not it. Then you just toss that out and be like, okay, let's move on to the next thing. But yeah, man, I mean, the, the, like the road stuff and the touring that honestly, that's something I haven't even really explored yet as a musician. You know what I mean? It, pretty much my whole, you know, I mean, I like the band I play we gig all the time, but, uh, it's all still just kind of like mostly local stuff or like we'll go out for like, you know, we'll go to we'll go out for like one gig that's like a few hours away or something. Sure. You, about, you know what I mean? Like we haven't done the tour thing yet, but still, I, I still know exactly what you're talking about just on the on a smaller scale with the kind of like, you know, playing the local gig stuff. Because like, you know, we uh, obviously we're, we throw in like new songs here and there and stuff, but it's a lot of the same stuff we're playing. And so... Sure. And, you know, we're playing often and it's all the same guys. And so, like you said, as a band, I mean, over over a couple of years, you can really kind of you know, tighten up and just, yep. like, yeah, it, it just really, um, yeah, it just really builds up your chops, man. And just really kind of like, um, yeah, they can just really take your playing to different places and it can take it, you know, further places than you, than you might've gone if you were just sitting at home playing by yourself, you know? So right on. That, was a, that was a big thing for me too, with like, particularly with, I guess, you know, when I first started playing slide, it was all like open E slide on ring finger, you know, pure Like, you know, Derek trucks, Dwayne Allman purist type stuff, you know, and when I kind of made the switch over to, like, standard tuning, pinky slide, um, you know, messing with the fretting behind the slide stuff, like, I uh, I kind of had to take that leap of, like, man, I'm not 100% there yet with this. It still feels kind of weird, but, like, I just got to, like, start doing it at gigs, you know, like, because sure. that's that's how it's going to really kind of set in and how I'm going to really be able to, like, you know, kind of find, uh, find my voice with this and really, like yeah and just really kind of get the hang of it because um yeah there's just nothing like you know playing in a real live situation in front of a well i love the live clips
0: you post i mean you're ripping and the and the tone is (laughs) magnificent so what (laughs) what have you been using when you play live are are you a super reverb guy you've been messing with different things
1: so i have uh i'm I'm really spoiled i have kind of a rotating cast of like amps and different little (laughs) different rigs that i use but like so, actually, the Super Reverb has not been um, getting brought out very much lately. Um, so, in the last couple of years, it's mostly been... Um, I have a couple of, like, kind of 50-style Fender Tweed amp clones that I actually okay. built. Um, so, I have, like, a like a 5E3 Tweed Deluxe. Um, I have a, a 5F4, like, Tweed Super. So, like, a 50 Super 210, you know, um, thing. And more recently I've um, kind of gotten into um, like a little bit more of like the kind of like marshally kind of thing, like PRS um, actually sent me their uh, hdrx 20. amp. that's a good like, amp. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's a dude, it's, it's a fantastic amp, man. And like, um, so yeah, I mean my typical rig for the kind of level of stuff that we're doing is like, uh, you know, 15 to 25, 30 ish watt amp. and, Usually what I do is, you know, kind of in that tweed like Marshall JTM kind of early Plexi kind of vibe. That's kind of mostly what I've been going for and uh yeah, I'll usually just plug straight in I'll, or I'll have like a uh, like I have a Strymon Flint reverb pedal right. uh, that I put in the front of it and I, and I like turn the mix knob down real low. It's kind of like basically like having a, you know, a reverb sure. tank in front kind of thing, but um yeah, and that's that's pretty much it. I'll just go straight in and just kind of just crank the amp and just well you know as much as I really like dark. supers
0: you know if, if it's not a criticism but it's just my a preference as long as we like have two examples you know Derek playing a super reverb it's it's a cleaner sound it's it's yeah. not as it still sustains crew you got that splash of reverb on it as well but the Dwayne thing into a Marshall man, that's the yeah. shizzle, right? And and, <laughs> yeah. and, and tweet yeah. amps do the same thing, obviously. And yeah. and that's what I enjoy so much about your playing and your tone is that it's got more I mean, it's it's not a um a saturated like preamp distortion. It's just it's, it's that tweed kind of marshally man. It's the squish, and it,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the, it's the squish. It's the, the sag. It's the, the gristle. It's the. Yes. To, me, to me, it's like. So yes, I totally agree with like, and you know, it's funny when when I was like full like Derek Trucks fanatic, like which I mean I still am of course, but when I was sure. like really deep in it, like you know. Uh, like had long hair, even put it in a ponytail and shit (laughs) the whole nine yards when I was like, you know, 17 years old or whatever. But, uh, but anyway, yeah. So like I was really going towards that kind of like, you know, blackface fender type thing. I had a deluxe reverb and eventually got a super and yeah, I feel like, um, for that thing it's great and particularly like if you're playing on a neck pickup i feel like right. it uh it has that tighter more kind of refined thing it doesn't have that kind of like woofy, woolly sort of thing that can happen with like a tweed amp or a marshall that's cranked up um but but yeah it just it's, it doesn't have that same like kind of um i almost think of it like um the type of breakup that like a, uh tweet or like an early Marshall type amp has, it has like kind of a rippling sort of thing going on or like a, like a it, people describe it as like the ripping paper kind of sound or whatever, right. or like, <laughs> you know, like, uh, yeah. And that, that thing, it just kind of, it has more like texture to it. And it's almost like, you can almost he- like hear that speaker, like flapping, like, you know, about to right. blow up. You know what I mean? It just has a, yeah, it just has a little bit more kind of dimension and like texture to it to me, and um, and a little bit softer attack, you know, and because I've kind of gravitated more toward like you know pretty much the kind of Dwayne um, bridge pickup slide type sound, yeah. and also another kind of tone like my two like tone heroes in particular are of course Dwayne and Billy Gibbons. Yeah. Those, those are like. Pretty much like with my tone, I'm trying to like just get that sort of like the essence of their kind of thing. They were kind of in a, not exactly the same, but kind of a similar sort of realm tone wise. So like, so yeah, that's kind of just basically, you know, that's what I'm always going for is trying to sound like them. (laughs) (laughs) But like, you know, with with my like, you know, phrasing and stuff like that, of course. But like, but yeah, that like to me there, that type of tone is just, uh, it's like, it's a bridge pickup sound primarily and it's got that kind of growl and that like snarl and that mid-range kind of just like eh, yep. kind of thing going on and like with Dwayne it has that nasally honky sort of thing but like it's not harsh and not like it doesn't have that like ice pick in the ear kind of thing right, exactly. it's still round and like pleasing to the ear and um yeah it just it's just like a it's more about like the kind of upper mid-range snarl kind of thing, more than it is about like the treble of it, if that makes right. sense. So for me, it's always like going into one of those amps and then like on bridge pickup, rolling my tone knob back about like halfway-ish, like five or six on the tone knob. That's kind of like my default kind of thing. That's yeah, that's I do me. the same
0: I'm, thing. That's kind of what you're I Like that bridge pickup and then going back on that tone knob to just find the sweet spot.
1: Yep. Exactly. So um so yeah that's the main thing man and i mean I'll, I'll bring out the super reverb sometimes and like use various different kind of drive pedals and stuff if i need a little more you know for playing like a bigger stage and i need more volume i also have uh, one of those um i have the 59 basement reissue which i, oh, which I, got I love more yeah. recently which that i got in hopes of like getting the kind of volume and punch of the super reverb but kind of getting more of that right like, the type of tone we're talking about that that we dig so which that definitely gets there. And it's funny, I actually use your, uh, like your settings, like that yeah, you, yeah. you recommend on that where you turn the treble and, and, uh, bass all the way off, mids all the way up, presence all the way up. Yeah. That's kind of like, that's most, that's how I run it. Like it sounds good, right? It, it does. Yeah. It's funny because when I first got that amp, I was like, I was almost, it wasn't quite like I was setting it kind of how I would set like my tweet super and stuff and like, it just was like, ah, it's just a little, like, it's not there. It doesn't have, it wasn't what I was hoping it would be. But then I, like, I tried those settings that you, that you recommend and that's like, that's it. <laughs> there it is, you know? So. Well,
0: I, I found them out. They were, they used to be on the placard that they had on top of the amp. Yeah. They had yeah. all these suggested settings. And I remember one day I'm looking at it and I'm like, I don't need any damn suggested settings. <laughs> right. And I was like. Well, this one's weird. <laughs> <It's> like you <laughs> right. do the mids all the way up and you turn the presence and the bass off and the or, or presence all the way up and the, the bass. I, what? And then I tried to turn it up to seven. And I did. I was like, holy shit. It yeah, sounds like a Marshall.
1: Yeah, exactly, man. That's and the then thing. you go into
0: the bright channel, which is usually, you know, it's especially on a newer fender, it's just like Brightzilla. But with that setting, it sounds yep. awesome.
1: Yep. Yep. And I will say I did, I, I found that I kind of, with the presence, I maybe kind of roll it back a tiny yeah, bit. I, I mess up. around a little
0: bit with those I'll as well. I'll have
1: it like more like 10, sometimes 11. Yep. It's, it's still the same idea though. And, uh, and yeah, I've been kind of and yeah, definitely bright channel, but I have been experimenting with like the kind of jump ring, the channel the and, yep. and stuff. Cause that, that'll get it. Like, I mean, you have the volumes on like, like barely halfway up and that thing's already roaring. You know? but, yes. Yeah. But, uh, but but yeah, so thank you for recommending those settings because I, I might have sold the basement if it, <laughs> if it wasn't Excellent. for <laughs> but uh but yeah man and that's that's the thing and just you know I, I prefer to just have no pedals on the floor. If I if I do use a drive pedal, it just sits on the amp and stays on all night and then I sure. just kind of pretend like it's a cranked amp, you know, I just control it all from the guitar volume just because you know i just when it comes to gear in general um and how i like to do things i just like to keep it as like simple straightforward yeah i get it possible i you know i don't want to have to think about like you know all kinds of like tap dancing yeah tap dancing and like you know setting my levels for like 25 different pedals and you know
0: yeah i get
1: just, it i just uh yeah i just like to keep it as like bare bones as and simple as possible and that's just you know and i just just i feel like it lets me just kind of focus on like what i'm actually playing as opposed sure, to like absolutely. Kinda wrestling with you know with gear <laughs> right <laughs> all night to get you know what i mean so absolutely yeah that's that's kind of that's kind of what i'm going for tone wise which by the way your your tone um when when i saw you that you know at that gig like uh with that um because you're running that uh the little like the studio vintage like the 20 watt right and, and, and with your amp of course which sounds right amazing. But that blend of those two amps man is like <laughs> that,
0: was, that was a, a <laughs> well thank you you know I, lately um, i've just been using uh, one amp with the 212 so it's the same it's a head version of my combo okay with a 212 cabinet and then i put it up on my uh, on the case a little bit so it's a little higher up and Wait. and then i don't have to use the extra mar- although i love the sound of that little marshall but i again insert if i don't have to bring another <laughs> <laughs> yeah. to bring another amp and the only yeah, reason why true, i started using true. two amps is because man and, and the band with my son and with toby man it gets loud and, yeah. and if, don't get me wrong i play loud as well but if I want to be heard above above the mar- you know. yeah,
1: you kind of have to. Exactly, <laughs> gotta I got to bring the heat. Bring but the I found juice. that um,
0: I found that the head with the two twelve. So now I, I was always a tens guy, but now now I'm in the in the twelves column because I need that extra totally. oomph.
1: Yeah, true. I've gone, you know, I've been messing with it, experimenting, going back and forth because I was all, you know, like I've been kind of leaning towards the tens myself too. But like like sometimes, you know. Especially if you're only playing on a bridge pickup, that extra weight kind of, uh, yes. kind of comes in handy, you know, <laughs> but, but that's, uh, that's cool, man. So, so that head is like the same as your like normal signature amp. Just exactly. Yeah. Okay, cool.
0: Cool. Yes. It's, it's a good, it's a good sounding rascal. Nice, well, listen, uh, tell us where we can find you online. You've got a great, uh, YouTube channel that you've been contributing to your, your Instagram stuff is awesome. Tell folks where to, where to find you.
1: Yeah, so just the, you know, YouTube. Just look up Dylan Adams guitar, and then same thing on Instagram. Um, those are my kind of main platforms that I am uh, that I'm on. I uh, it's not out yet, but I'm actually going to um, start a Patreon channel here nice. very soon. Um, and so keep on the lookout for that. I'll make an announcement when um, when I do that. But yeah, I'll, I'll have like kind of exclusive little tutorials and kind of behind the scenes, you know, goodness on that. So. Uh, yeah. So, so, yeah, but main, mainly just YouTube and Instagram are the main things, man. And also look up, uh, you know, the band I play in, too. Um, it's uh, Smokestack Official on Instagram. And, nice. uh And we're on Facebook and YouTube as well. So, uh, so yeah, check us out. and um, Excellent. So, yeah, man, and just thank you again so much for having me on, man. It's an honor.
0: Well, thank um, you for doing uh, it. I'm a big fan of your playing, and you're just a nice fella. And uh, it was really fun I hanging gotcha. out with you a little bit down in uh, in Florida. And hopefully we'll be back soon.
1: Yes, yes, and hopefully that we, you don't have um, PA troubles like that last time, man. That yeah, was,
0: that was that was unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah, but uh, but yeah, man, absolutely, yeah. Um, would love to you know have you back down here in Florida and get to hang and maybe uh, play some tunes a little oh, bit. Oh, that would
0: be awesome, absolutely. Yeah, man, totally. Well, uh, well, yeah. Thanks so much for having me, Greg. And it was thank great you, Dylan. Time. And I'll let you know when this airs, and uh, it should be out. I'm trying to get as many of these in the can as possible before I have to hit the doggone road again, which we're doing in the, at the end of uh, of January. So,
1: gotcha. I'm going to cool get a bunch in
0: the can, and then they'll they'll unleash. So we'll let you know when it airs.
1: Cool, cool. Looking forward to it, man. And uh, and yeah, best of luck on your on your next tour and safe travels. Thank you. And, uh, yeah, man, man. can't wait to uh, see you
0: again, dude. All right, my friend. Take it easy, Dylan. Thank you. All right, me too, Greg. Later. Right. Bye, bye. Folks, thanks so much for tuning in. We certainly do appreciate you stopping by and partaking in the most savory, chewable gristle this side of Cucamonga. Gregory Cock, looking forward to seeing you again next week, even though I won't actually see you, but I'll sense your presence.